Good morning. Our first scripture reading is from the book of Deuteronomy. It is chapter 18, verses 15 to 20. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own brothers. You must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, Let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire any more, or we will die. The Lord said to me, What they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. I will put my words in his mouth, and he will tell them everything I command him. If anyone does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name, I myself will call him to account. But a prophet who presumes to speak in my name anything I have not commanded him to say, or a prophet who speaks in the name of other gods, must be put to death. And our second scripture reading is from the book of Mark, chapter 1, verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 21 to 28. And that can be found on page 1552. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. Just then, a man in their synagogue, who was possessed by an evil spirit, cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The evil spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, What is this, a new teaching and with authority? He even gives orders to evil spirits and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. The word of the Lord. Well, friends, let's join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, speak to us now, for we, your servants, are listening. Fill our hearts with the fire of your love. And Lord, may all that we say and all that we do give you honor and glory, for you are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So a Baptist church, a Methodist church, and a Presbyterian church. You're laughing already, Margie. They all held revival services in their little town at the same time. And so the pastors of the Baptist, Methodist, and Presbyterian churches got together to compare how their revival services went after they were over. And the Baptist preacher said, it was really successful. We got four new people who've come to our church as a result of the services. And the Methodist pastor said, wow, that's great. We got six new people who are attending our church now because of the revival services. And the Presbyterian pastor said, Oh, you wouldn't believe it. We lost ten of our biggest troublemakers. Huh. 
read that yesterday and laughed. I told you if you forward me jokes, I might share them in church. <clears throat> Sometimes it's good to start with a joke, because I've told you, I think, before, my, one of my favorite quotes by the novelist and playwright Oscar Wilde was, if you're going to tell people the truth, make them laugh, otherwise they'll kill you. And so today we're going we're gonna to deal in some truth. So it's good to laugh a little bit, I think. Friends, I want you to hold a word in your mind today as we go through the Scriptures today and as we look for what God has for us. It's a word that I think has uh, lost a lot of its currency in our contemporary culture. It's a word um, under which we live all the time, every day. But I dare say many of us think as if we do not. And that is this word I want you to hold in your mind. Authority. Authority. You see, in a, in a day and age where it seems as if um, rather than kind of the truth to which we must submit our lives, there everyone has their own truth. And if that becomes the case, then everyone is their own authority. If we understand authority as a a standard to which we are held, a measure uh, to which we are accountable, that there is someone or something that makes demands of our lives. As we were sitting up there and Courtney was offering the children's time and she talked about rules, I think it was Nelson, wherever Nelson went, uh, was talking about something rules and she asked him if they have rules and Nelson said, yeah, we all do. Right? We all do, don't we? All of us every day, we're living and operating under authority. If you leave church this morning and you go down Herbertsville Road at 75, 80 miles an hour, you might have an encounter with authority. All the time, we're living under authority. And yet I do believe that it is one of the lies of our modern secular age that we can live without authority. Whether we know it, every day we're submitting ourselves to something or to someone. I talked about that last year, as really um, that there is no such thing as God or no God when the option is presented to us. It's what God will you serve. Jeremiah, choose this day whom you will serve. It's not God or no God, it is God or some other God of our own making and choosing. We all submit ourselves to someone or something to which we ascribe authority. So I want you to hold the word authority in your mind this morning. We have the church gives us two readings for today. And as you recall, I mentioned last week, we're out of Advent and Christmas and Epiphany in this season of what the church calls ordinary time. And so much of the scriptures during ordinary time are focused on what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does that look like in the life of ordinary, everyday folks, just like you and just like me? And so this morning we have a reading from Deuteronomy, a reading from Mark. And at first glance, we might think, what do these two have to do with one another? What is this all about? In Deuteronomy 18, uh, it's nearing the end of Moses' life. And he's gathered all the people together. 
really the last half of the book of Deuteronomy, or a big chunk of it, is Moses' sort of farewell speech to the people. He's dying, and, and as you recall, uh, he does not enter the promised land. God does not allow that to happen. Um, he gets to the cusp of the promised land. He sees it, but it's Joshua who leads the people into the promised land. And part of Moses' goodbye or farewell is recorded for us in the book of Deuteronomy. And here he is in Deuteronomy, and listen carefully to this scripture again that Brielle read for us. These words, um, this is Moses speaking. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. Do you know this particular text was so deeply puzzling to Jews in Jesus' day and before? Do you know why? Because a Jew in Jesus' day and before Jesus could not imagine an Israelite prophet greater than Moses. I I will put to you that really probably in the whole corpus of the Old Testament, and in the entirety of the Jewish tradition, there's not a figure that looms larger than Moses. Moses, who saw God and lived, who encountered His very presence, who brought the Ten Commandments down off Mount Sinai, down to the people. Moses, who led the people in liberation out of Egypt from slavery. The watershed moment in the entire Israelite history. In fact, it's so important that in the book of Romans, the Apostle Paul points back to that and uses that as the example, the image, through which we understand what Jesus did for us on the cross. Moses. Who's bigger than Moses? He, in his person, captured the three offices of ancient Israel. Prophet, priest, and king. He led the people as king. As a prophet, he represented God before the people. As a priest, he represented the people before God. Moses, huge figure. So who could be greater than Moses? I heard someone say the answer. And as the kids this morning were here, I say, you know, Jesus is always the right answer. You can't go wrong. Any question you're asked, you respond Jesus. Especially if it's a question asked in church, you're probably right. Friends, we must understand Scripture this way. This is how I teach Scripture. This is how I believe we need to understand Scripture. That the entirety of Scripture, from Genesis to Revelation, the Old Testament and the New Testament, tell us a continuous story that we're meant to understand as a whole. That we understand that God's plan of salvation begins for us where? Not in John 3.16. Not in the birth story in Matthew or Luke. Where does it begin? Genesis chapter 3. When sin comes into the world, and we have these hints all through Genesis 3 that what has happened, God has a plan to rectify, to save, to redeem, to restore, to make new. And that thread weaves its way all through the Old Testament into the New Testament. It's one continuous story meant to be read as a whole of what God is doing in the world. Of God's, as we say when we baptize someone, God's mighty acts of salvation runs its way through the whole Scripture. And yes, even Moses, even Moses looks ahead 
and understands that God is doing something and God will do something. And there will be one who will be raised up in his lineage and line of the people of Israel who will teach, who will have authority and to which someone to whom the people must listen. So imagine, if you will, for me in a moment, here Jesus is in the temple, in, in, in the synagogue, in Mark chapter 1. And he's doing what was his prerogative for any adult Jewish male. They had the right to get up on the Sabbath in the temple, to open the scroll, to read from the scroll, and then expound upon it. In other words, it was the right of any young Jewish man to get up and give a sermon on Sunday. And so here Jesus is in the synagogue on the Sabbath. He gets up and he reads, and what does our text not tell us? You listen closely to what Brielle read. What does Mark not record? He doesn't record anything about what Jesus read or what he said. Mark focuses on what? There are these scribes who are there. Now, scribes in Jesus' day, we hear that word, we might think of people who just copied text. It's not what the scribes did. Scribes were educated interpreters of the law, of the Old Testament. And here, what happened is that people start to say, wow, this man has what? There's that word. Authority. Before we even get to the content, to the composition of his teachings, the people are what? They're taken by the manner in which he delivers them. This is someone with what? Authority. What are they, exactly what do they say here in Mark chapter 1? They say this. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority. Now we see in this text something happens over and over again in Jesus' ministry. Jesus steps into a place and he exercises his authority. And then what happens? the powers that are against Jesus, that are against good, evil itself, starts to take notice. Our text, now this is a sermon for another time, but I can't go through this text without making this aside. And I won't pursue this rabbit trail too long. Where's the first place that Jesus encounters the devil, a demon, the forces of evil? In church, in Mark, he encounters someone who's overtaken by evil. Where? In church, in the synagogue. Where's the place that a lot of evil likes to hang out? In churches. In churches. What does the devil love to do? The powers of evil cannot create. They don't have that capability. What can the powers of evil do? All they can do is distort the good. They can disrupt. They can cause conflict. And so here we see that Jesus steps into the synagogue and he starts to teach and he has one who has authority. And what happens? The evil powers take notice because they've been hanging out in churches trying to disrupt. And Jesus commands them to come out. And then we go back to this, that in word and in deed, the people notice 
that this is a man, unlike anyone that they've encountered before, this is someone who has what? Authority. There is that word again. Authority. So what does this text mean for us? Well, friends, this is what I believe we can get from Deuteronomy and Mark when we take them together. That this Jesus, this one sent from God, the greatest of all of the prophets, if he's someone who has authority, then we must make a decision about this man named Jesus. If he is who he said he is, if he has authority, if he has command over the darkness that sometimes even pops up in churches, that is rampant in the world around us, if this Jesus does indeed have authority, then we must sit up, take notice, and make a decision about what we're going to do with this man named Jesus. All of the texts of Scripture constantly present the people uh, who first heard them, the people in these stories, and then would-be disciples all the way down through the ages with a choice. What will you do with Jesus? Will you allow Him to have authority in your life? Will you listen to Him? You see, friends, before we can even take in the content of His teachings, before we can even understand that this is the man sent from God for us who came down for our salvation, before we can truly enter into that life and to understand what that means to be transformed by it, we must make a choice about what we will do with this man who has authority. Maybe you've answered that question long ago. But I pose to you this, that for the follower of Jesus Christ, that is a question that we must wrestle with every single day. Because every day is an opportunity that is put before us that we will either submit to the authority of this man named Jesus or that we will go our own way and live our own lives and in essence become our own authority. That is the challenge. That is the question. That is the choice before us every day. And so today, it's before us. And once again, we must wrestle with it. Will we allow this man named Jesus to be not only our Savior, but our Lord? Because when we claim Jesus as Lord, we are saying that He is our what? Authority. That He is the one to whom we will submit our lives. He is the one that we will allow to shape us and to mold us and to make us after His way, not after our way. And when we make that choice, when we say yes to this man who teaches with authority, get ready. Get ready. Because when you get serious about Jesus, evil is going to get serious about you. Maybe some of you have encountered that before. When you've had a spiritual moment, when you've encountered Christ, when you've made a decision for Him, the devil kicks it into overdrive. 
and wants to disrupt and to discourage and to destroy you. When Jesus is tempted in the wilderness, it's right after his baptism. And what happens at Jesus' baptism? We had this this scripture two weeks ago. The heavens open, the voice of God the Father comes down to God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit descends, and the voice from God the Father says, This is my Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when Jesus goes out into the wilderness and he's tempted, what is the very first thing the devil says? If you are the Son of God. What does he do? He calls into question the very last thing that God the Father said over God the Son. So when you approach Jesus and you submit to him as the authority in your life, count on it. That evil is going to work hard and get you to question who you are. He's going to question who Jesus is. He's going to question whether this really is a man worthy of your submitting your life for his authority. Friends, the question and the choice is before us. Today is the day for you to make that choice. Jesus has been placed before you. You've heard him proclaimed. You've heard him sung. We've prayed to him. We've read from scripture and we've heard of him. And today is the day where a choice is set before you and set before me. Is this a man with authority? And if so, will you submit your life to him? That's the question. Friends, may you and I have the courage, the Holy Spirit boldness, to each and every day say yes to the man with authority. Amen.